Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Rather, let's slow it down. How are you all? This is Tea Time History Chat Live with me, Philippa Lacey Brule. I'm streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And today I want to tell you all about my top secret visit to London last week. I am, um, if you were here with me last week, I was able, oh, sorry, I told you that I was heading down to London for a um, visit to somewhere top secret. So I'll tell you all about that. Um, you would have seen a little bit if you're following me on, me on Instagram anyway. And if you're in my Patreon, you've obviously seen some behind the scenes extra photos as well. <clears throat> Let's see if my voice holds out. Um, I also want to tell you today, um, well, I want to say a little bit more, um, just very, very quickly about uh, uh, Book Club. Happy Thursday, Catherine Parsons. <laughs> um, um, yeah, isn't it Wednesday? It's Wednesday. Did I say Thursday? Um, well, anyway. Sorry about that, just ripped a day. Uh, well, I'll give you a day back. Um, I also want to uh, let you know that the schedule for the Tudors Online History Festival is now um, is now announced. So um, I'll just do that at the end so that if that's not of interest, you don't have to hang around for it. But if you do want to know about it, then... Um, then yeah, I'll be covering that as well. So I can see lots of people joining on Instagram. Hi everyone who's joining on YouTube and Facebook as well. Jenna, Jonathan, Lisa, Manya, Anaga, and um, I, sorry on Instagram the the uh, it flies up so quickly. But thank you very much, Lottie Rose. Thank you so much for the badge. You are such a sweetie. So if you want to support me, and I really really am grateful because it helps me go out and do the visits that I do um, and by the equipment I need to do it um, you, there's a few ways of doing it Lottie Rose the beautiful Lottie Rose has brought me a badge on Instagram you can do stars on Facebook super chats on YouTube and something with them on YouTube um, or and this is how I love you to support me you can join my patreon um i it, it's patreon.com forward slash british history it's five pounds a month and i give you lots back um including membership of the book club which uh, i wanted to talk a little bit about later because it's come to my attention that um some book clubs are affiliated and I just wanted to assure everyone that I'm not affiliated. The book, in fact now let's do this now the books that I recommend are literally books that I have read um or well, you know, normally I've read them and I know they're good books. I don't recommend them because for any other reason. So I'm not getting kickbacks. I'm not, you know, sometimes if I, if I get a book for free, I will tell you. Um, but uh, I, again, I think I mentioned this on the book review week when I'm suggesting something that you're spending 20, $30 on pounds on, I'm not going to suggest it unless I think you're going to get um get something out of it so I just wanted to assure you the book club is not affiliated and uh, and any, any book recommendations I give to you is because I've read the book and I think you will enjoy it and I normally tell you why so that you can choose for yourself. Deborah thank you so much for the badges as well on Instagram that is so lovely of you and um, I can see Laurie there, Lottie Rose, Deborah, Amy, Michelle, Miko, Miko Abel, Miko Abel. Sorry, handles on Instagram. Oh, they always get me. So last week, when I when I was here, I was telling you that I was going out and about the day after. There's two reasons why I don't say where I'm going. Well, last week there was um, one because it plays on where I was going that I said it was top secret, and I'll explain that in a moment. And two because you know it's a bit daft to tell everyone where you're going to be. <laughs> I always think, um, yeah, single female traveller and all that. So. Last week, though, last Thursday, I headed down to London and it was um, it was a private tour I was getting of the cabinet war rooms or otherwise known as Churchill's war rooms. And they sit underneath the Treasury. So if you um, are lucky enough to come to Whitehall, um, Westminster Whitehall, you'll know that the street is um called Whitehall now and you your history buffs like me so you'll know that banqueting house is halfway up but you're surrounded by massive buildings uh, Downing Street is in the middle um you have the House of Parliament behind you and it is underneath one of those buildings underneath the treasury now it's the treasury that the cabinet war rooms were set up 
And I was invited to go along. It's funny because I was actually intending to go really soon anyway. It's somewhere that I went years ago and wanted to go back to. Um, because it is, it's one of these places that is truly a time capsule. And it really, even if you're not into that, into the World War II period, um, it's worth going to because it was a shut the door, turn the lights off and leave place, which makes it um, incredibly atmospheric. The smells are sort of still there. Um, I got to go behind the glass. So if you've ever been, then um, you will know that the way they've set up it, it for a, as a museum is by sort of putting big windows into where there was walls. And so you can see into the rooms where they met, the map room, which I'll talk about in a bit more detail, um, Churchill's bedroom that he used when he was there. Um, I actually got to go into those spaces which so when I say about the smells as well, that was even more sort of noticeable um, when when you went actually literally behind the glass and into the rooms and got right up close <laughs> to things like the maps. Um, you saw every pinprick, that, you know, every, of every pin that's ever been put into those maps. And those maps were used to um, to follow uh, troop movements, convoy movements on sea and on land um, throughout the whole whole war effort. When you've got someone in your family, as I'm sure most of us have, who were involved in that conflict, then you know that there's pinpricks on that map that represented where they were at one time, which um, which is is really I don't know what's the word for that. It's quite overwhelming actually. Um, so the location of it is interesting. Now, I've mentioned that it's near to Westminster. So it's near to the House of Parliament. It's near to Downing Street. Um, as far as I understand it, it shouldn't have sort of been the permanent place, but they were looking for somewhere that, um, that the war cabinet could meet um, fairly quickly and safely. <laughs> What's interesting, one of the interesting things about it is that it's not actually, or it was deemed maybe after the fact, not really bomb-proof. So um, the war cabinet, it was set up just before the war officially started and the war cabinet would would meet down down there. And it, it is, it's like a, it's like a big um, basement cellar with corridors uh, sort of slim corridors with lots of doors off to lots of different rooms. There would have been guards everywhere. If any of you have watched Darkest Hour, um, then um, then then you see how they would have entered the cabinet war rooms. Uh, well, the cabinet war rooms, the war room, sort of the meeting room itself is one room, and there's lots of other rooms. There was 500 staff working down there during the war. Um, right through from sort of um, uh, you know the, the the top brass are in there um, because uh, uh, Churchill would want to meet with the heads of the army, the navy, and the air force together. Um, they would have their clerks. There would be the typing pool. There would be at the cooks down there. You know there would be all sorts. Now they. That you, it's now it's sort of lit up with nice. Yes, Amy, the Darkest Hour. It's brilliant film. I watched it the night after I, <laughs> the night after I um, the night or the night after that. But anyway, that I came back, I was like, I must watch, um, I must watch the the Darkest Hour again. It's a it's a great film. If anyone wants to watch a film, I love films based on, um, sort of real events. Um, yeah. oh, man, is oh, man, is uh. Manya's catching up. Well, Manya, I must say, welcome to my patron. You, along with um, Deborah, who's watching on Instagram, you have both joined Patreon this week. So thank you so much. Um, I love it. I love it when people join our Patreon um, because it's it's such a lovely group. And we will be meeting, actually, in the book club that we have in there gives us some um, gives us chance to actually meet in, in sort of virtual person as well, which is fabulous. Um Oh, Amanda's in Chile. Welcome. So, um, 
Yeah. Um, right. So, yes. Yeah, so, so over 500 people would be working down in, in these war rooms. So they weren't purpose built. This was the um, this was the treasury. Um, sorry, the, the, the basement of the building, which has become the treasury. I can't remember what it was during the war. And so. And it's actually two levels. You can't go into the um, the level below, but pe- that's where people would sleep. And there's no running water. It's a basement. It's not purpose built. So there's no running water. You um, have to remember as well, of course, I mean, Britain have only just got air conditioning in what, the last 10 years maybe? And not everywhere. <laughs> I think it was American Chains. Like when we first got them, McDonald's, no, well, McDonald's has been here for a while, but cost and place like that where it's like, oh, air conditioning exists in the UK. So anyway, so you can imagine they're underground. There's no air conditioning. Everyone's smoking. Um, and uh, it's dark. Uh, there was electricity, but um, but it would have been dull. And they they started to use the the war rooms fairly quickly because there was uh, an air bombardment on London, and this is where um, this is where the war cabinet had to retreat to to um, to, to to meet. Except it wasn't bomb proof, so uh, again, probably because it. Had, I mean, it wasn't. It was. It was chosen, I think, out of because it was a place that was suitable, but it wasn't a hundred percent suitable. I think there might have been plans um, to build one somewhere else, but um, in the end, it was used throughout the war. And Churchill, at one point, ordered for a sort of slab of concrete to be poured above the basement so probably sort of street level because you're actually only just below street level if you go into the treasury you actually go up some steps as far as I understand it so then if you that's where the staff who are working there that is the way they would go in the the um the entrance which you use if you go now as a tourist like I was going then that that didn't exist so the impression that people had was that they were going down multiple stories and would be deep underground but in fact they were pretty much just below street level so had the um incredibly had the building above taken a direct hit uh or the street above taken a direct hit then then the the integrity of the whole sort of um, Warren uh, underneath uh, underground might have um, been uh, been in jeopardy, which is quite incredible when you think who was under there. Um, Churchill didn't like staying there. In fact, Churchill <laughs> Churchill is known to have if he if there were air raids on London, rather than get into the sort of bunker. Um, he would like to go up onto the rooftop and watch. Um, so yeah, certainly not uh, certainly not a fearful man. And so there is a bedroom down in in the war rooms, which was there for his use. Should he be kept there, the the also the the bunk beds and sort of provisions for sleeping there for everyone who worked there were there in case they couldn't leave. So they weren't sort of expected to sleep there if they could go home. But if there was a a raid um, on, then they might have to stay underground. Uh, They used chemical toilets. Like I said, there's no running water. So it was pretty grim. Um, It was pretty grim under there. Not now. They've got nice atmospheric lighting. (laughs) uh, But you you get sort of that you you think everyone down there was smoking, smoking. and there were some fans that were would sort of were to circulate the air, like I said, no air conditioning. But that that sort of smell—it's not unpleasant. It sounds like it'd be unpleasant. It's not unpleasant. It um, when you walk in the room, like I said, because you're walking actually behind the glass. Um, I, I was, and lucky me, <laughs> and I got in there. It it it's it's it is like you're going back in time. Um, which is what we all want, isn't it? When we go, when we go to these places, it's to actually be transported back. All of the things in there are uh, original, might not be in exactly the same place, 
down to oh well there's all sorts um except for maybe Churchill cigars they're not his his exact ones they were very valuable you're not going to leave those around oh that's the other thing if you think about it they're smoking all the time and there's paper everywhere they're dealing with paper and they're on phones which our kids wouldn't even know how to use these days that's how they do it um and um so it's so in the um in the actual war room well, excuse me, cabinet war room. So this is the, the room in which the cabinet uh, actually, war cabinet actually met, um, is Churchill's chair. And um, I, I don't know how, how the impression that sort of has come to you of um, of Churchill, but, you know, and, and actually the darkest hour does this, this very well because there can be this impression that he's just sort of a... Um, very statesmanlike, very self-assured. Now he knew what he thought needed to happen, um, of course, but he there were signs of the stress that he was under. So on his chair, this is incredible. On his chair, he um, he wore a signet ring. I think it was on so his left hand, and so in the ha in the arms on the end of the arms of the chair. One has a groove sort of going front to back and one um, sort of where the varnish has been rubbed off and the other side has actually got a groove into it. Now, excuse me, because I can't remember which way round, whether it was left or right, which sort of goes side to side where he had the signet rings, whichever hand he has his signet ring on, that's the side. Um, so he must have sat in that chair. Well, it tells you a few things. He sat in that chair for... A, a you know a cumulative a long period of time in order to make that those marks on the chair and that he's sitting there what fidgeting thinking um the equivalent of doodling i don't know but he's 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 clearly i mean it'd be a bit odd if he was doing it at the same time i was like there's no way how would you <laughs> it's a bit like tapping your head and and uh, rubbing your stomach because one of the grooves one of the uh uh, marks goes front to back and the other one goes side to side um but yeah so he so physically his chair is there you can see the marks uh made by churchill during the 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 cabinet um meetings um you can see on the wall that, oh he and he was a huge fan of maps obviously there's a map room which i'll speak about in a moment but churchill himself was a huge fan of maps and he had so he had maps in his bedroom in this this room this room was allocated as his bedroom he he slept in it overnight a handful of times but he was a big uh fan of the power nap so he didn't sleep maybe particularly well at night time but he would he was a fan of the power nap and he would use this room for power napping anyway the, but you wonder as well how much he got to power how much he napped when he's got things like you know he clearly didn't want to go in there for rest. He's got maps on the wall, which had um, locations of certain bases over the country. And there's there's the key, handwritten key, on one of the pillars. So when um, uh, Churchill found out that it wasn't particularly bombproof in these in this set of uh, um, rooms, I say that it's it's big. It's a big site. Um, that he had this this concrete. Uh, block pl plinth whatever um put in and um also sort of lots of wooden a wooden structure basically underneath as well and pinned to one of those is this key to his map um genesis i know what you mean about the feeling you get i've been inside a world war ii aircraft carrier it's an unexplainable feeling while you're walking through it made me think of my great-grandfather yeah who's in the u.s navy serving in the pacific so the, the 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 thought that this this so let's go on to the map room then oh no sorry one more thing about churchill's bedroom before i move on his addresses to the nation so um some of them came from um uh, from that bedroom in in the war rooms and there's two bbc mics still there the ones he used and it's where he sat 
to one, one, one of the addresses he definitely gave from there was the uh, the announcement of that that Pearl Harbor had been attacked and, and America was coming into the war. He did that from that room, and I stood there where he was, um, where he sat and did it. Um, Laurie says, "Sounds so amazing." After seeing lots of his belongings and paintings at Chartwell, I'm definitely more intrigued by these items. It, yeah, he, I mean, <clears throat> Chartwell is a wonderful place to go to as well. It is the it's really homely, actually. And that's one thing I think that comes across in the darkest hour, you know, his his marriage to 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 Clemmy and his children, you know, the, the relationship they had. I think it's always very unfair that people say that his paintings aren't very good. I mean, he's painting like for a hobby, like we would do, I don't know, we would go and play tennis or swim or I don't know, whatever. And if someone said, oh, they weren't very good at it. Well, yeah. Um, I don't think that was his purpose, was to be a good artist. Well, maybe he wanted to be a good artist and he liked practising, but um, I don't think that was his uh, his main aim with his paintings. There was no paintings down in the war rooms. He clearly didn't have time for that while he was down there. So the map room itself, he was he was um, his bedroom actually was right next door to the um, the map room. He hated noise, by the way, which I can I can understand. Well, you're trying to think. I mean, you can imagine he's thinking all the time there must be no letter whatsoever so the noise of the typewriters he didn't like so they had special typewriters that were quieter um he nicknamed the hole punches that they used a, a clop i think it was a clop but named after the so so he sort of named it onomatopoeically um and uh and the telephone. So if you've seen in the, you might have seen a picture of the, um, I was going to put pictures up, sorry, but they wouldn't upload quick enough, um, of the bank of telephones are in the map room. And this is where the commanders would sort of work from, the, the Navy, the you know, the um, Air Force uh, and the Army. Uh, and they have these phones where they can dial out, but also they were getting information in. They didn't ring. They had uh, lights on them. It would have been crazy, I think, if they'd have all rang. So they had, anyway, they had lights on them so that that was how you'd become aware that there was somebody ringing in. And they had weather reports. They Actually, they had weather reports of strategic sites and whatever. But down in the corridor was a sign that said what the weather was like above. There would have been no way you would know. In fact, we... While we were down there, you really couldn't hear anything. You could occasionally hear the tube going by. Um, and I'm not even sure what line that would be and whether that line would have been there in the war. Mm -mm, might have been. But anyway, that was the only thing we could actually hear when we were down there. Um, it had uh, a bank of um, uh, generators, so the power was generated down there um that's actually where we first met when we went down there and, and we were greeted um but yeah in the map room so you've got the bank of telephones you've got everyone oh and oh I can't remember the man's name so there was oh no I'm not going to guess his name anyway he uh this this man <laughs> was working there now the rations a, a week's worth of sugar was about three cubes. So what you think of as a, as a cube of sugar. In an envelope, when, so the, the, the Churchill War Rooms became, they sort, I think they must sort of known that they needed to keep it for sort of prosperity. And, you know, when it was actually being turned into the, um, uh, the museum, so things were sort of being looked through, they found an envelope and in this envelope, I think it was written on the outside so they knew whose it was, um, and it was in his drawer. It was these was three cubes of sugar. Um, so this is this man's say no, I'm not gonna guess. Um, this was this man's weekly ration of sugar, and and there were scrapes in one of the and they're out now. Sorry, what I should say is they're out. Um, so there's a sort of mannequin that's supposed to be him, and in the museum part of um, of of the setup, there's there's pictures of of this man, and uh, and there's sort of scraped bits off the sugar cube, um, 
you know, as if maybe you take a bit for your tea. Um, and he's clearly keeping it, you know, making it last. And then he's put it, he's put it in the envelope and it's back in his drawer and he's left and forgotten about it. Um, and so there is his last ration of sugar um, that he had down there with him anyway, sat in the drawer. So that's now out on the side. So if you do go and you see the map room, bank of um, telephones and there's a mannequin on the right hand side in front of him to his left on the desk is a blue envelope the original envelope and the three sugar cubes that he had in that that he he left behind um but we got to go right we got to get right up close right up close to to the maps on the wall and as I said for anyone who's joined since I began the maps in the map room at the Churchill War Rooms have, it's literally covered in pinpricks. Um, and I will put photos and, and I've done a couple of things about it since I've been back. But um, but I'll put some, some more on, especially for patrons. Um, each one of those pinpricks was tracking a, a, a convoy movement. So they go through the sea. I think they go through sea and land. I'm pretty sure with that. Um, so if you do have a relative who's who was in the war, you know, and and my granddad certainly was, um, then there is there's a there's pinpricks on there that would represented where they were, um, which is incredibly poignant, isn't it? Um, and there's 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 a series of bedrooms, um, Clemmy. Churchill's wife had her own bedroom there. Looks different to the other. Well, the, the way it's furnished is different. Uh, there was a kitchen, um, but all these all these rooms were just you know it was like shut up and and gone. Can you imagine somewhere that's the hive of activity? I think Bletchley Park was very like this. I was very lucky, um, and it's before I was doing everything that I do now, but I did absorb myself. I managed to go to Bletchley Park when it was still enthusiast run. Now it's fantastic that Bletchley Park, home of the Code Breakers, has a um has a um someone just said hi mom, which is really throwing me. Um that, that you know that it had lottery fund I think it was lottery funding and it and it's state of the art now you can learn about all sorts of stuff. But when it was enthusiast run it was another kind of shut the lights off lock the door and 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 leave type place so again um another sort of time capsule but the 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 war rooms um the the things in there the typewriters the maps the even down to the signs so it's always fair and sunny according to the sign in the corridor to tell the people down there what it was like what the weather was like above um the final weather map um has is is dated the final date that the war rooms were used because of course it wasn't then updated after that um so there's it's yeah it was an incredible visit i could not recommend more that you you if you can if you're in london and you're in the westminster area that you go and and look i would give yourself about an hour and a half to 2 hours depending on how much you like to sort of be still in one place maybe um but there is a um a museum as well as part of it and there's a good gift shop, which I didn't get to do because it was closed. <laughs> so <laughs> that was one downside. But I will be recording a podcast with um, with the curator there, uh, a lady called Kate. And I will be um, doing that. I will be recording a podcast with her. So patrons, if you have any questions about the Cabinet War Rooms, about Churchill's War Rooms, then I will be asking for questions to put to Kate, the curator there. Um, if you're not a Patreon and you'd like to put in questions, then please just 
join Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash British history. And that's one of the perks that you get regularly, regularly is to ask questions of historians or people that I am going to be interviewing. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, to that and get into some of the, the stories, more stories about what happened down there. I found it really incredible that it wasn't bombproof. I just always assumed that it was bombproof. How funny that it wasn't funny in a like weird kind of way. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend that you go there. And if you have any questions about the place you want me to put to the curator, then please look out in my Patreon for that post. I think now you can follow me on Patreon without joining. So you can see what I post. And then if you decided that you want to join because you want to see what's actually within the post. So I think you just sort of see a headline and a summary, then um, then you can. So check me out anyway. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash British history. Before I move on, let me tell you tonight we have History After Dark and... Um, I noticed someone, Inaga, was it you said that earlier, so before we I came on, that it is the 608th anniversary of Henry V's um, victory at Agincourt today. So I haven't talked about that. I apologise. Partly because I have been doing lots and lots of research, research ready for tonight's History After Dark. Um, when we do History After Dark, we're currently in the Deceased Gits series. And this is our penultimate git so we only have two left tonight and next week and um tonight it's richard duke of york so um it te- in order to do 10 minutes for each of me and the girls so we do it with katrina marchant and Catherine uh, ibbotson formerly known as brooks the, um when we uh, when we do it we have sort of about 10 minutes each so tonight i am covering richard duke of york Rebel or patriot? And in order to do your 10 minutes, in order to do a 10 minutes that hopefully is succinct and makes sense, I have currently done about 10 hours of research. So I apologize that I'm not covering Agincourt today. Um, There's only so much I can uh, can kind of hold in this brain. Uh, But it just made me, um, it made me think because, um, of course, part of the reason, a big, massive part of the reason that Richard Duke of York ever um, goes near to the throne. And obviously I'll be talking about this in more detail and more succinctly, <laughs> it, both of those things on History After Dark tonight, which I'd love you to to join us, um, is, that, is that Henry V's son, Henry VI, is not anything like his father. Um, and it must have been while whilst the court are watching the baby Henry the Sixth um, grow up, hoping that okay we've got a baby on the throne, but we've just got his minority to get through, and then he's Henry the Fifth son. He's going our warrior king's son. He's going to definitely be growing up and be, you know, a fantastic leader like his father. And it does not happen at all, at all. Even sort of before his bouts of, um, well, he sort of goes into like a living co- a, 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 a weight coma sort of thing. But even before that, he's always been he was always more bookish. He was always more religious. He was, um, he, he never swore. <laughs> he, he was, he was, he was, um, he wanted just everyone to get along, which is all lovely, but not exactly what's required of a king in, uh, at that time. So, um, anyway, so, be, so that's how Richard of York sort of, in a very, very simplified version, um, kind of becomes why why that becomes an issue, um, and why Richard of York would have any sort of argument with the with the crown at all. Um so um Manya says, did anyone else watch a few videos on the descendants of Henry the Third to figure out how Richard of York had a claim? Because <laughs> it gets confusing. It does. And and um actually Kat 
Dr. Cat will be will be covering um, Richard of York's claim tonight on History After Dark. So do join us. We're um, live at 8.15 tonight, UK time. History.after.dark on Instagram. History After Dark on YouTube. Cat will be uh, covering, yeah, how, how Richard of York has a claim to the throne. It is... Um, it is um, complicated, but you also, well, I think it's also worth remembering that it's complicated also by the fact that there isn't, the, 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 the idea of who comes after who, what's the rightful line of succession was something that was sort of hammered out um, over centuries and it only works until it doesn't work. You know, oh yeah, it's going to be the the eldest son of the king. All right, and then that son dies, and he leaves a child. But then, but there's brothers, so they're sons of the king, other king, the previous king who died. So why not we go to them? Or in the case of the Tudors, oh, there's no sons. We have no boys to take the throne so it's so the we can I, I think we can get ourselves in tied in knots as well as to who the rightful king is and of course what we're doing there is repeating um uh we're repeating what those in power and were arguing that they had a right to the the, the throne what they were arguing um but really, it's uh, if you think about it, it's we're all human beings, and therefore it's a made-up system because there's nothing, there's nothing actually in nature that says who should be um, in charge. Certainly, when it comes to um, um, bloodlines and inheritance, just within a family for a position of power and influence. So, it will be an interesting discussion tonight. I'm hoping to put forward a bit of a case as to why um Richard could be seen more as a patriot than a than a rebel but we'll see how I go go with that um and yes so we're we're we almost finished our deceased skit series and next well I don't know if I'll, t I'll tell you what I'll, I'll tell you on history after dark what we're doing next year but we've got Richard of York tonight that's the final one next week which we'll announce at the end of tonight's uh show and then we'll do a roundup, and then we'll we'll go for we'll we'll go and with the scores and see who is the actual crowned <laughs> deceased git of twenty twenty three. Um, so that should be that should be fun. Um, now I don't know if uh, some of you uh, know, but I also have a blog on Substack, Philippa B, because that's my name, Philippa B. Substack.com. So every it's Tuesday now because I changed it. Uh, I send out a newsletter that has links to the lives we've done. It has uh, information about tours if you're interested in coming on tour with me, uh, and and also a little article as well. Um, so I uh, wrote this week about right. It started off with. Oh my God, I'm reading so many books, it's stupid, which is true. Um, and when I say reading them, I have, I have them all on the go. Um, about three in like actual, you know, physical form and about three on Audible. And then I added another one on it this morning, actually. So um, yeah, nightmare. However, I am um, looking, I am learning so much different things, so many different things in these books. And a few of them I just wanted to share with you, if that's, uh, you know, of interest. Um, <laughs> Laurie's looking forward to hearing the commentary around Duke of York to determine how much of a git he really is. Yes. Yes. We shall see. We shall see. That's what I, that's what I mean. I've got like 10 hours of research to stick into 10 minutes tonight to try and get over some of the context for his actions um in some sort of meaningful way so we'll see if I we'll see if I can manage it um every day is a challenge and there's mine for today <clears throat> MJ I think King John and Henry VIII are tied for first place they are actually tied for first place at the moment yes they are we might have to have a git off see um who comes out on top uh but my uh substack this week my news article one of the things that I 
thought might be a sort of little factoid that would be of interest to people is um and I've written about this so you can you can go and see it my my newsletter is is free although you can pay for it if you want a bit more um um is that there was we're going on to dissolution of the monasteries now by the way Henry VIII uh because this book and I know I bang on about it but goodness me it's an amazing book and you would think do you know what intrigued me is I thought how has someone written a book that thick on the dissolution of the monasteries don't we just don't we already know what happened no uh and one of the things was the resistance to the closures and not just the closures so um like i say i've written more about it in my substack so if you go to philippab.substack.com you'll be able to see you'll be able to uh, subscribe for free and, and read this but it's the uh, yeah the passive um resistance to the closures in things like and there's actually more examples of this but this is what i wrote about this week disposing of the uh lands and um possessions of a house which is going to be uh closed that didn't actually only just happen in houses monastic houses and institutions institution I can't say institutions today that were marked for closure because as this went on so the smaller monasteries are closed first those with that have been assessed as having a income yearly income of 200 pounds or less they're closed they're spread across the country so there isn't really any part of the country that hasn't been affected or has seen the impact of a closure remembering that monasteries are not isolated but you've got the monks in them you have people who supplied them you might have had people who worked for them and you would have tenants um who so there were landlords as well and so the 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 effect of closures was was felt um amy henry VIII is the biggest dead get ever amy has put her final vote in <laughs> love it um but yeah so but yeah but so but yeah but so but the passive resistance i keep saying this this term um to the closures of the monasteries is really then quite incredible in that context that you think of him as a um oh no manda a router's dying oh no it's that time to get a new router um of him being scary of people not daring to defy him and it, except in the examples that we see where someone's you know come a right cropper because of it um but this was active, actively sort of getting rid of. Um, so, for instance, they would have tenancy agreements that might give land um, or the, the the right to rent some land for a hundred years or something, the day before uh, a, a house might be earmarked for closure. But with the closures happening across the country, the donors who were big part of the income we think of pilgrims going to abbeys but actually as well um donors you know local wealthy families the nobility would be donating to monasteries for maybe it to be their family mausoleum for chantry chapels for that for their dead for themselves um and this income was incredibly important for the for, for these houses to remain um working as donors saw houses being closed it doesn't look like a great investment opportunity anymore does it it doesn't look like you're going to get much back because they they might don't know what's henry up to we don't know um was um what's the point of giving the money so the so so donations start to dry up and so even houses with out uh well without any indication that they might be closed they start also getting rid of uh possessions maybe i don't know actually um i sort of didn't understand this bit quite so much but um uh to, to actually raise money and to make sure that if they are closed then certain things are out of 
the hands of the crown that they can't the crown can't um take those possessions into their own into into, the, into its own coffers so anyway so my sub stack is on that this week and uh, and also i have uh, announced the schedule for the tudors online history festival oh. excuse me so the tudors online history festival we do a, we do an online history festival every spring and every autumn so this is our third online history festival actually last autumn we did the stuarts this spring we did the georgians this autumn it is the tudors we have seven speakers um we have oh two three four five i don't know something like five and a half six hours no it's more than that something like that i know six hours worth of talks uh if you so what will happen with the talks because somebody asked me about this so i thought i'd mention the schedule because somebody asked me about the timings um and uh we i've set the timings to try and make it so that everyone around the world can join it's not exactly it's not, it's not quite perfectly possible um but the event will open at eight o'clock on at uk time on the 17th of november and talks will go live across the weekend from the 17th to the 19th. So first of all, we have Tracy Borman talking about Anne Boleyn and Elizabeth I, that mother-daughter relationship, how it's changed changed history. And then at 9.30pm, Estelle Peronk, uh, her talk on the pursuit of a mother-daughter relationship between Elizabeth I and Catherine de' Medici, the French Queen Mother. And then on Saturday um at three o'clock uk time so i think three o'clock uk time australia i'm so sorry australia it's just really really difficult what i would say is this these are the go live times for these talks so all these talks for ticket holders and the tickets will be on sale up to um and during the weekend but after that they're not on sale so you can't get hold of the talks but if you're a ticket holder you will be able to get these talks from the moment they go live through to the 31st of January 2024 so you have got loads of time to catch up or watch again any of these talks and the live events that the live events we've put in the evening UK time to try and catch everyone so it will be very early morning um in australia uh midday-ish is well later late morning early afternoon um, in america and so and all variants in between uh they will be recorded and um accessible as well to everyone who's a ticket holder so anyway sorry on the saturday cat 3 p.m uk time is talking about Shakespeare versus the Puritans so the challenge of being uh of writing plays um when you have quite a lot of censorship uh 5 p.m James Clark the author of this this book I keep talking about um the decision of the monasteries and new history he has actually done this two hours talk on Henry VIII and the dissolution um and then at 8 p.m Ilary Lynn is talking about Tudor fashion in the court and how that um, the power play that comes through with the clothes. And then on Sunday at 2pm UK time again, Gareth Russell uh, is talking about Barnaby Fitzpatrick, the rise, the fall and the rise and possibly the fall again, but that's not in the title of Barnaby Fitzpatrick. He was the best friend of Edward VI. And his life is fascinating. How come he got in the schoolroom in the first place with Henry VI? Um, how their relationship was so close, and then it um, sort of sort of faltered. Not the friendship itself, but there was there was there was an issue there. And then how he came back, and then what happened to him um, when Edward VI died, and Mary I came on the throne, and then through to Elizabeth I as well, and 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 his. Um, his eventual death with a, a misunderstanding really so uh fascinating anyway gareth so gareth russell's talking about him and then our final talk before the live events is joanne paul talking about the house of dudley just the women the women were pivotal in the survival of the house of dudley and joanne goes into that in her talk um caroline i actually do know barnaby 
I'm presuming he's a Barnaby, actually. I know him as Barney. He's a um, yeoman warder at the Tower of London. So, yeah, actually, you know, I've never asked him his full name. Um, so then the um, – now, this is really exciting. Six o'clock UK time, so work that out where you are, <laughs> um, we have the live Q&A panel. All seven of those speakers will be at a live Q&A to ask, sorry, excuse me, to answer your questions. If you can't make the live Q&A, then you can submit a question beforehand and I will give you details. Well, let me know and I'll give you details of how to do that. And then for fun, because who doesn't like a bit of fun, we have a closing quiz at eight o'clock UK time on the Sunday to sort of sort of test your knowledge on the talks but really it's a bit of fun it might prompt you to a talk or two that you uh you want to prioritize uh and we also will do the free prize draw so we have um six uh no five I think it is prizes to to give away as well so there you go so that's the Tudors online history festival weekend um and you can get tickets for that at the Tudors 2023.eventbrite.co.uk and actually all the information about the event is on there as well so um if you want any of that recapped go along to the Tudors 2023.eventbrite.co.uk and you can see the schedule and all the details of the talks as well and the live events. I really hope you come. I think it'll be good. It's £20, by the way. So I've priced it to hopefully be as accessible to everyone as as, as many people as possible. Um, so I hope you can join us tonight at 8.15pm, history.after.dark on Instagram, history.after.dark on YouTube, um, when we're discussing Richard Duke of York. Was he a git? Was he not? We will make our deliberations and make our decisions. Right, everyone. I will possibly see you next week. Next week's might be a pre-recorded because I'm out and about again. So I'm going to be have even more places to talk to you about. Um, if you want to drop me a line about a topic that you want me to cover, please do. Please feel free. I'm looking for ideas. Um, you can DM me on Instagram. Um, DMing me on Instagram is probably the best. So I'm British underscore history underscore tours on Instagram. All right, everyone, I will hopefully see you later or next week. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>